when they invented like price tags on things. I, I think the other impact that had is it reduces some sort of cognitive overhead. Mm -hmm. Like you don't have to worry about if you're getting a fair price or not. You can just go buy the things you want and like not stress. And getting rid of that stress, I think really like frees your brain up to do lots of other things. But it also makes us unlearned or untrained in how to do uh, negotiation for things that you really care about. Welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. Today it was a special interview I did with uh, Maya Bittner. She is a graduate of Olin College and has been in technology for a while. And I'll let her explain and let her introduce herself and so you can know more about her. Uh, but I really enjoyed this interview. Definitely talked a lot about stuff from uh, what Stephen Covey talks about in his book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective Individuals. I hope you enjoy this episode. I do want to let you guys know that I am doing an online course with Anders Jones, CEO of Facet Wealth, who raised $40 million in a Series A. So if you're a startup founder looking to raise your seed stage or your Series A, I uh, highly recommend applying to this. It is application only so that we can get the right people on, the, on board. Uh, so go ahead and apply at stuartallsop.substack.com. Again, that's stuartallsop.substack.com. It's going to be a great course. I'm really excited about it. It's going to be live training, so you'll have an opportunity to ask him questions. Uh, and he's at the hyper growth scale, so he's raised a seed stage, a series A, and he's now got the money to basically put fuel on the fire and take this thing to the moon. Uh, and that's a really important stage for people who are just starting out because the way that I've figured out how to prevent the most stress, future stress, is to pay attention to people who have recently done something. Uh, that you're about to do. Uh, and so Anders is doing that right now. So he's raised money so he can tell you what it's like in 2019 to raise money. Probably want to do it quicker rather than later because a recession probably is coming. We are in the longest, uh, we are longest bull market uh, in recent history, probably for a long time. Uh, so you probably want to do it quickly. Um, and so yeah, Anders has a lot of information about that. So if you want to check out the course, it's stuartallsop.substack.com. Please let me know your thoughts on this episode. I'm at Twitter at stuartallsop, I-I-I. I'd love to hear your thoughts. If you do like it, please leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, any of those places. Have a great day. So welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. Uh, my guest here is Maya Bittner. Uh, I got that right, right? That's right. Okay, cool. Uh, and I'm really interested to hear your thoughts on basically everything. We'll just get right into it. Like, uh, what is the biggest thing that has happened in the last week? Most interesting thing? Most insightful thing? Most interesting, most insightful thing. Um, you know, I'm a little... I just had a party yesterday. Mm. And so that's what's on my mind okay. is kind of this party I hosted and what that brings up around like changing community in mm. San Francisco and I really love San Francisco but I feel like a mm. lot of my friends have left mm. and then I have friends here still and it's it's a real time of transition for a lot of people a lot of people have gotten some success in their career and now everyone's asking what next uh-huh and so interesting about San Francisco in general uh, particularly this party kind of thing so we got you know like technology here We've got some other things here, new age, thought, like meditation, all these different things kind of are all, the nexus is here. Um, but there's also this weird professional thing that comes into it as well. A lot of people have parties for professional reasons. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it's really interesting. And I think, um, right, kind of this like rat race thing mm. is very interesting because I do think a lot of people are um, proud to be a part of that and, and to to kind of be optimizing and to be in it. And it's interesting, like I was tweeting about this recently that 
a lot of other people call me ambitious, mm. but I wouldn't call myself ambitious because I'm not really looking to achieve any certain thing. Mm. Uh, I feel like I like working at a seven out of 10 on the hardness mm-hmm. scale. Mm-hmm. And I really like that. And like, that mm-hmm. is what I'm going for. And it just so happens that if I do that every day, the things that happen have been getting uh, more interesting and more public and bigger. I, but I'm not doing it for the accomplishment. I'm doing it for the work. Yeah, and the 7 out of 10, that 10 skill tends to move. So you're doing 7 out of 10, and then it kind of changes. Well, and that's what someone yeah. said, is they said your baseline might be yeah. kind of weird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so I do think that's a good thing to point out. Um, but, yeah, it is funny when you say, like, oh, like, um, oh, I'm not, so I'm not particularly money motivated. Mm-hmm. And, um, like, one of the things is so I recently sold my company, and everyone asked, they're like, oh, like, what are your golden handcuffs? Like, when can you leave? How long do you have to stay? And I'm like, I don't have to stay. Mm-hmm. And Because you don't, the money aspect of the salary doesn't matter. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and there are incentives for staying different, but everyone has that. And mm-hmm. I don't think you can choose your life decisions based on these types of incentives. But everyone just looks at me like, what are you talking about? Why <laughs> is that cool. another issue? <laughs> Interesting. Uh, go back to your original point or earlier point uh, was that uh, somebody said something recently, which is that the more you seize opportunities, the more opportunities arise, basically. Would you agree with that statement? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I definitely think that there, and there's some kind of flywheel effect around taking risks mm-hmm. where there's an asymmetrical reward payoff too. So it's like you're taking your risk and it might be bad, but usually the, the goodness it can be totally outweighs the bad. And so mm-hmm. like as you take risks, you get more things and you can take bigger risks mm-hmm. and you kind of like create. And I think this is, you know, there's a lot of conversations about privilege. Like this is kind of what privilege is too. Mm-hmm. It's is the like, ability to take those risks yeah. basically because you don't have the kind of like, uh, what was the framework that the guy had about having your, your food, your water, your housing, all these things. Oh, Maslow's or, hierarchy. Yeah, Maslow's hierarchy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And I think, right, it's like, well, if you're born white, like, you can start out, like, taking some bigger risks because mm. you won't, you have, like, less to lose. You can fall back higher. And then just you start out taking those risks. And like I said, it compounds over time. And you get, you just start out with a little advantage and it compounds into being this huge advantage um, mm. over time. I've thought about this a lot. And, and so growing up, uh, I was, I, I grew up here and one of my, my, I didn't get that much from my, my family in terms, I did get some things in terms of my family from understanding what it means to operate at a high level in terms of business and stuff like that. Uh, things that are really important that if you don't have access to at a young age, it's harder to kind of enter that world. Hmm. Uh, I got a lot of it from uh, my, my best friend's mother, who was the who was a, a biotech investor and a CEO, and she kind of like sat oh, us cool. down and was like, like, this is how things work. Like, Here's how business is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and so that was really interesting that, that without that, and most people kind of don't really realize that that is a huge, huge thing because I was able to get like downloads from this person who had been operating at this high level for a very long time. It's incredible. Yeah. Um, how, how did you learn your stuff? So my family is my family is definitely a family of hustlers mm. and that's also on its way out everyone's like hustle culture is killing <laughs> us all which may be true yeah. but but my family is certainly a family of hustlers and so I mean my dad so my dad negotiates everything mm. so we would go to like our the high school play 
and the kid would be like, tickets are $2. And my dad would be like, well, can you give me a deal on the ticket? And the high score is like, I don't know, man. I was just told to sell ticket, you know? And I'm like, dad, this is like a charity. Like, you don't have and he's like, what if we do like five tickets for $8? Or what if, and, he, and he's like, what if I was your mom? Like, would you charge your mom $2 a ticket for this? You know, and this poor kid. And my, and my dad's just always making a deal. And so both of my parents were in their own businesses. My dad's a financial advisor. Uh. My mom's a nutritionist, and they run their own, like, consultancies. Um, my sister does – she buys houses that, that for, like, $80,000. They're just mm-hmm. the worst houses you've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Remodels them and then rents them out. Mm-hmm. And so, like, that's her that's her hustle. Um, and then – and so, like, just sort of surrounded by this all the time that, like, everything is a negotiation and every, you can, like, examine things. And if you see the true value of things differently than other people, there's lots of arbitrage opportunities there. This is something that uh, I learned uh, traveling and living in, living in other countries, particularly Thailand, uh, where, where, where – uh, negotiating is just oh, a huge part of the culture. Oh, it's inherently like yeah. part of everything. Yeah. And and it Much used to be, so it, it, but it used to be here. It used to it used to go into the market and stuff like that, and every, everything would be negotiable. But and actually, and, and it, there's a couple of shops in Thailand who started to do this, particularly around t- tourist areas. Uh, they would actually start setting set prices because oh, put the price tags on it. Yeah, yeah. because what negotiation what a de- negotiation mentality does is offer differential pricing based yep. on who can negotiate better. So it actually gets at some of this privilege thing because you can prejudice thing because you can charge different prices for different people. So I mean, you know, and there the most likely thing was that their foreigners would come and get charged a different price because they're foreigners, which is actually at the state level in Thailand. Uh, mandated. So as I said, it's probably endorsed. Yeah, yeah. The, the, at the national parks, there is a different price for yeah, locals yeah. as opposed to, to. Or Cuba has totally different currencies for tourists and uh, for locals. Interesting. Um, to achieve the same effect, but yeah, I think when they, I when they invented like price tags on things, I, I think the other impact that had is it reduces some sort of cognitive overhead. Like mm-hmm. you don't have to worry about if you're getting a fair price or not. You can just go buy the things you want. And like not stress and getting rid of that stress, I think really like frees your brain up to do lots of other things. But it also makes us incapable of making, uh, not incapable, uh, unlearned or untrained in how to do uh, negotiation for things that you really care about. I guess at the level of money. um, Yeah, uh, yeah. uh, Because I guess also in other things, because other things like social capital and other things like that, you know, like relationships, you you kind of, it's negotiation things and everything like that. and, And so you have to figure out what you want. And so I think that's a training in some levels. And I was untrained for it, and I was very bad at it in Thailand. And like over <laughs> sure. 10, 10 years of getting it, because it was emotionally very challenging for me to say that I wanted this and stuff like that. I was never trained to do it. So yeah. When I think like I um, have negotiated my rent a couple mm-hmm. times in San Francisco when before moving into a new apartment. And I think, so this is my favorite way to save money because one time it lasts as long as you live there. It's huge amounts of money compared to other things. Mm. Uh, but a lot of my friends are like, what? Like they just then they would be really uncomfortable with the idea of like negotiating on the listed price for mm. an apartment. And how do you do it? Um, how do I do it? So usually it's it's like towards the end of the process because you know you go view it and you talk to these people and you apply, and then towards the end I say you know like I love the apartment, would love to live there, and if I can, if there's something I'm not using, I'll often try and offer that as a trade. Mm. So like the apartment comes with a parking spot in the garage, but I'm not going to use that. Mm. So in exchange, like, can I get $400 a month Mm. off the rent? Or I'll say like, I love it. um, But you know, I have another place that is 
$400 a month less and they're really equal to me, you know, personally, I would love to have you as a landlord specifically. And so if we can set this is the lease amount, that would be mm-hmm. ideal. But I don't want to put you in an awkward position. So like if you don't want to do that, that's fine. I have another place. This is what somebody, it gets interesting. Uh, a friend of mine once said that he lived in India and he learned how to do sales uh, in India because there they've got it they've got it down is to how you can be very, very polite and very warm <laughs> right. while still uh, well, being uh, pretty pushy. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. yeah, yeah. And that's like a key thing to understand. Well, and it reminds me, I mean, sometimes, right, so people are impressed that I negotiate my rent and things like that. This all feels easy. I feel like the hardest things I have done in my life mm. were uh, selling ads in mm. my soccer calendar in mm. ninth grade mm. and selling you know, you sell random pieces of junk as fundraisers in like seventh grade, doing things like that. Like I was knocking on people's doors. I went to sell ads. I went into these random businesses. I got an ad from an anti-coin business, you know, and I was asking them, can I have a hundred dollars and I will put your logo on the soccer calendar that we sell that year and walking into a business as a, as a 14 year old, (laughs) And asking them uh, for a hundred dollars to put like that was it was so much harder like that was and I, I really feel like that was kind of my boot camp and now I'm like real life is so much easier than selling ads in a soccer calendar. <laughs> Did you have any mentorship to do that or was that totally on your own idea? You just like okay we, we needed an ad. Uh, I'm just gonna go find this. This was a program. I mean, we sold ads every year in the mm-hmm. calendar. Okay. Um, so it was an expected thing. It was but an you expected didn't, you didn't thing. You didn't have anybody telling you like this is how you do this. You just went in there blind with I, this uncertainty. I didn't have mentorship. I had, you know, my parents always say I was like, oh my god, I really don't want to do this. And my parents, their catchphrase is always, I have faith in your ability to do this, <laughs> which is like supportive, but not. But like you're on it. You're not specifically it. helpful. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, Although I think my dad did buy an ad for his own business. So that was mm-hmm. specifically helpful. But And I think we were incentivized in some way. I don't remember the details. But they, they like we were incentivized to individually sell ads. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this brings up, the reason I asked that question is because of uncertainty. Uncertainty is a common thing that keeps people from a lot of doing a lot of things. They, they fear mm-hmm. a lot of things. And so they, 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 they don't do it based on this kind of like amorphous blob of like, oh, what could happen? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Has that shown up in your life recently? Or what is the biggest no. risk that you've taken? <laughs> I think, well, and so, no. Yeah. Uh, and like I said, you know, it's really hard to sell calendar ads. I remember I started... I was a soccer referee when I was 11. It was really hard to do that. You get yelled at. I taught snowboarding all through high school, which was also hard. I was teaching these people older than me how to snowboard. Um, I feel like all of that was so much harder than anything. Than anything. I, anything. So, but you've you've been challenging yourself at a level of seven out of ten. What <laughs> yes. is what is the most recent challenge? Ooh, that's a good question. So the most recent challenge is um, well, and I'm trying to figure out. Like I'm learning that I have a pretty high risk tolerance. Mm. And so having realized that, the next step is, well, what do I do with that? Like given that I have a pretty high risk tolerance and I'm willing to take more risks and more people, how can I use this trait about myself to have the greatest change mm. on the world mm. than to do the most good in the world? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of the, a current thing I'm thinking through. I think a current challenge I have um, – is so I work I work full time uh, and I invest and advise startups on the side and so trying to just figure out my calendar and where are the priorities and what is the overarching vision I feel like I've been very reactive the last year and that's not how I want to live my life I want to um, be deliberate I know that 
So at work, what I usually do is I kind of go to a different place outside the office that's quiet with a notebook. And I do my hard thinking, I think of it, and like the creative thinking, and I decide what I'm going to do. And I end up with a to-do list. And then I can go back to the office and just execute on the to-do list. Mm. It's fine. Mm. Um, I realize I haven't done that for the big picture idea of my life, Mm. that I'm just doing whatever email shows up in my inbox, and that I really want to do that exercise where I sit down and plot out, like, wait, what am I trying to accomplish here? Uh, A really good thing to do that is to either draw it out or visualize in your head uh, the moment before you die um, and kind of visualize, Mm. yeah, like visualize. At that point, what what is it that you done? What are are people doing at their funeral? What are they congratulating you for? What are they secretly saying they hate about you like sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, like to yeah. just to flesh out the whole picture yeah, and get exactly. that visual yeah. have you done this uh i've i've tiptoed into it before i've okay. I, I, death is a very helpful thing that i use a lot in terms of just like the experiential understanding of it what does it mean uh it's kind of like this great uncertainty thing that a, pe- a lot of people put meaning on but all of that meaning is by default uh inaccurate because we have no idea what it goes on after that so it's uh, like we, uh-huh, we can't uh-huh. we can, so it's just it's to go to, back to that uncertainty, that's the great uncertainty. That's like the big uncertainty. Yeah. Whereas people have these little uncertainties and they're all kind of reflective of this giant. That they're all reflective of the one that we're necessarily wrong yeah, about. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. So that can be really helpful. Another one that can be helpful is Gmail just uh, um, uh, integrated a feature where you can send your email. You can schedule an email to yourself. Or you can schedule an email to anybody, but you can send one to yourself five, five years down the road, ten years down the road, and you can, you can map out what do I want to see that person. I, they, there, was a, there was a service that this, did this ten years ago, and I actually did it. Uh, and now I'm reminded that I have another one coming up when I turn 35 and another one turning up when I'm 40. And the one that came when I was 30... It was really interesting because it was mostly about languages. So I, I mostly wanted to learn languages um, okay. and, and I actually ended up learning. I don't think I learned the languages I wanted to, but I learned, ended up learning other languages. Other ones? That, yeah, yeah. So uh, it's an it's interesting way to do that. It's all just a way of focusing. And that's one of the beauties of the things that we have as human beings. We can, uh, all other animals seem to only have a present moment awareness thing, but we are able to reflect into the future and reflect into mm-hmm. the past mm-hmm. and as if they were really happening. Well, and you were talking about meditation and new age stuff earlier. And I think that that ability and even propensity to think in the future and in the past mm-hmm. is also really harmful for us. Exactly. Yeah. So it's this <laughs> constant back and forth where we're just like, yeah. where, where it's like, I have this ability, but then I can get trapped in this ability and think it's real and think it's, think it's actually like, think that the thing I'm thinking about is actually. Oh, is what I, we're yeah. living right now. Yeah. Or when, that we will live. But yes. it's just, that's just an But image. you've just made it up. Yeah. And to be uh, like comfortable with how uncertain that is. Yeah. I, I think a lot about, I, I think it's a Winston Churchill quote, mm. but you know, the one about how it's important to make plans, even though nothing ever goes to plan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that contrast is important to embrace in life. Let's talk about planning. Ooh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What have you planned recently? What have I planned recently? So um, I planned this party recently that I did yesterday. It was okay. I'm now like <laughs> reconsidering my enthusiasm for, for, plan- for planning parties. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and I really like catching up with people one-on-one or yeah. in small groups. And so... Um, in a big group, it's harder to catch. That, that what you're doing is you're engineering serendipity for other people, essentially. Right. Yeah. And creating that, which is cool. And the other thing that I'm doing is I'm avoiding scheduling, mm. which I'm very interested mm, in. Interesting. Yeah. So I say, I'm like, look, it's happening on June 30th at 2 p.m., Show up or don't. Uh, I will be there. Oh, interesting. <laughs> and that, yeah. Uh, I um, I think scheduling, I find more stressful than 
most people. I, I agree, and yet my because of what I've chosen to do now, my, I was gonna say, you must yeah, have a my life huge is, amount of scheduling. Yeah, scheduled. It's now two months in advance, and so I have, I have basically interviews uh, every day, twice a day for 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 a month, uh, and then and then uh, other stuff going on after that. And it's like I could never plan six months in advance before this, uh, and so and I didn't like to plan. I hated it, uh, and uh, and now I'm like I'm stuck in it. But the thing I'm doing is so fulfilling that I'm okay with that minor income that stress uh, and i'm now sure. used to it too sure yeah. it's like the low level stress but yeah. the bigger picture is is deeply it's more motivating yeah mm-hmm. yeah i think i haven't so i have this kind of itch to move to new york mm, i also have that itch you know <laughs> yeah. it's the best city yeah and, and you I gotta do cities. it like while you're young as well like yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. so i've never lived in new york before mm. have you no I've, and i've always gone in the summer so i think i have an inaccurate Bye. representation <laughs> right. of what new york is but but yeah, it seems like a bucket list item. Mm. I wanna, I wanna check it off. I really want to do it at some point in my life. Now seems like a good time. Mm. But you ask about planning, and um, I feel like in some ways I'm sort of not planning or delaying my life, and not even investing in my life here mm. because you've got this other. Yeah, I'm trying to mm. put the pieces in place to get myself to New York. Soon. And that's that's what happened to me in relation to San Francisco about, uh, it was nine months ago, uh, I had to make a decision as to whether I was traveling for three months. And that was like, I had, I rented out this place for three months and I was, uh, I was basically like, uh, I, w- I could have kept on going, um, or come back and, and retaken the lease. And I decided to come back to San Francisco and that, but until I made that decision, it was very uh, difficult because it was like that kind of you're not investing in, in anything yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly did you did you like or how did you feel about having that sort of artificially like forced decision point with with the lease and everything uh well that was the hel- that was helpful constraint because without that i wouldn't have I, right. I wouldn't have had to make that decision and now i made the decision and i'm happy with it even though a lot of times like i get this urge to go travel and stuff like that and like live in another country or, mm-hmm, or like mm-hmm. you know almost i almost it's always the summer in san francisco that's the difficult because we got the fog and and it's like this weird mixture of like it's cold i have to wear a jacket but it's, if i go 30 minutes away it's like all beautiful and gorgeous but uh, <laughs> so it's like this, this summer thing in San Francisco. Uh, and so I want to escape that and go somewhere else. But I, this is the first one I'm doing in a long time. So I'm staying here and like, and like, Interesting. yeah, now it's like, now there's all these little things and I've got this idea in New York, which is like what you're thinking, but, but there's all these little things like an opportunity that's location based in San Francisco, yep. which gets into a lot of opportunities here. Yeah. Which gets into interesting thing. I've started to think about, I'm, I do most of my stuff distributed. I like doing interviews in person, but I'm doing a lot of interviews distributed. I'm doing most of my meditation practice in, uh, with other people right. distributed. And um, one of the things I'm starting to do with my life is starting to make it that work always happens by default virtually. But then life, mm. personal decisions happen about travel and stuff like that are made on personal decisions, which I think is almost viable now uh, because we have these tools. Uh, what do you think? The tools are really good. Um, I Right. So in some ways I feel old-fashioned. But then when you made that distinguishing mm. thing between work and personal life, like because I, I really feel like with personal life there's no substitute to sitting next to someone. Mm-hmm. And, right, you notice all these little things and all this quick real-time thing. And I feel like you know, we even have all these, like, miniature little facial mm-hmm. muscles that... Don't get translated. Does that have... Like, does that get translated mm-hmm. on Zoom? I'm not sure that it does. I'm mm-hmm. not sure that you can even see it fast enough that the refresh rate is quick enough to catch the little mm-hmm. things that we do with our face that are really important for understanding someone or saying, like, hey, like, you, you did something weird there. Like, mm-hmm. did you want to jump in and say something? Or what 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 did that bring up for you? Mm-hmm. Um, 
But I think for work, I think it depends. Honestly, I think it depends on the type of work that you do. Yeah, that's true. Uh, how, whether that works remotely or not, because that's kind of what I'm currently grappling with is I moved to New York. Mm, your job. I would. I want to keep working for Chime. Mm. Um, Chime is not a remote company. Uh-huh. And, and so, no is there an opportunity there? They would. Yes, mm. but. I think when you are remote at a company that isn't remote, yeah. I don't think your life is that easy or happy. And this is, I've been doing a lot of interviews with people who run remote distributed teams and most of them tell you that you can't, you can't, uh, you can't have half and half. You, you have to do one or the other. I think it's really hard to do half and half, or maybe if you started with everyone remote, you could create a headquarters mm. that people come into because you have out. the culture of working well with remote teams. Mm. But I think, I mean, Chime is very much, it is in San Francisco. There are some people who work in other places, but. Yeah, once a while or something. Yeah, yeah. but really we are not, we don't really have remote employees. And so I think there would be a lot of overhead in terms of communication and setting up processes and tooling and things like that that I'm not sure I'm excited to take on. Mm, interesting. Yeah. So, New York, what else about, what is it about New York? Well, I like, so there's so many things. So, <laughs> I mean, I've always loved cities. Uh huh. Yeah. I really like so I really like smart, ambitious people, mm. and common complaint. But I I do kind of feel like there's not a lot of variety to the smart, ambitious people mm. who live in San Francisco. Sure. Yeah. Really feels like if you're smart and ambitious, you almost certainly work in tech, mm. um, which is which is fine. And it's like I love tech, um, but I'm just feeling a little bored, a little restless. And I think that New York has smart, ambitious artists. And lawyers and people who work in finance and fashion mm. and media and there's professors and there's just this like whole variety of people and all these different backgrounds and it's interesting because this is a change for me so I used to think like oh people in New York are mean mm. and there's a lot of rules mm. and it's very rigid and things like that <laughs> yeah. now I'm almost in awe of the city because there's so many people and there's so many different backgrounds and different cultures and they've created this this like rule set for here are the standards of how to behave in public and it's enforced but i actually i actually really appreciate that you know and i don't think they're mean at all i think i think new yorkers are clear and direct and yeah yeah, and that's something i really appreciate because i grew up here and it's the opposite here it's like a passive aggressiveness it's like the go-to rule and if you and it's really hard not to transgress that rule uh uh, and but yeah, but in New York it's just very clear. It's like I went to I'll give an example ecstatic dance. So I went to I go to ecstatic dance here, and that's like the ultimate new age kind of like yeah, like yeah, like yeah, yeah. like uh, you know like so you, it's just it's it's uh, the you know there's a lot of, and there's a lot of real people there as well. I'm not, I don't want to say that, but the ultra the basically emotional backdrop to that event is is this type of like hippie kind of like love peace. Uh, mm-hmm. Everything is gonna gonna be okay. Uh, and then I went to one in New York. Uh, and it was like it was like that, but with the realness, and it was just like it was really uh, beautiful to to see that people were just like straight up like, you know, I don't like what you did there, but I love you, and like you know like really yeah, it was great. I highly recommend it. Yeah, no, that's so interesting. <laughs> yeah. When I think that's the like I don't like what you did there, but I love you. Yeah. That is sort of the real heart, and like that's how you connect with people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and in San Francisco, when we're like, no, you're fine with everything. You don't really like, right, but yeah. but they don't actually think so. Like it's it's hard to really build those those bonds with yeah, other people. Exactly, yeah. And yeah, I also think like, you know, somebody if somebody steps on my foot on the subway in New York, they're like, oh my god, I'm sorry, because mm-hmm. that's against the rules. They recognize the rules, mm-hmm. things like that. Here in San Francisco, I mean, the the public because I'm a big public transportation person, mm-hmm. everywhere all the time. I love public transportation. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and it doesn't feel like there is any sort of rules in San Francisco. And someone will stand on my foot for like 20 minutes on BART. And I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> I, I can't wait to get off this train so that you're not standing on my foot yeah. anymore. <laughs> That's really funny. Uh, why public transportation? Why, are you so, why do you love it? I don't, I always have. Uh-huh. Um, like I grew up in, in rural Washington state mm. and I would take, it's like I would take the bus, which, so I'd walk five miles to, so the bus ran twice a day. Once in the morning and once in the afternoon, I would take the bus to our local town, which is called Bellingham. Mm. Um, and I would take the bus. I, I love it. Like, I love um, that I can do other things. I love that. Cause, and then it's like, if your bus is stuck in traffic, it's like, well, I was reading my book when we weren't stuck in, stuck in traffic. And now I'm reading my book as we're stuck. And it's sort mm-hmm. of like... Interesting. I as good as anything. I can't do that. If I'm if there are other people and I'm reading, I get so distracted. Like even if they're not oh, really? talking, yeah, I'm just like what my, do you, my what, mind goes all over the place. But <laughs> like what do you think of? Like do you imagine what their lives are like or who they are no, or examine a, the what they're wearing? And... No, none of that actually. Yeah, it's really interesting. I really haven't really looked at it until you just asked me that question, but I, I, I'm reading and then I just get distracted by the awareness or attention of other uh-huh. people. So it's like, uh-huh. I don't, I don't, I don't know why it is, but it's like, are you self-conscious? Like, are you thinking about, I think about... there is an element of, 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 of like amygdala activation and mm-hmm. like, and mm-hmm. like essentially mm-hmm. trauma and, and, and things like that, where mm-hmm. it's like, I'm, I'm part of me is always uh, observing everything around me so that, that nothing can uh, uh, get to me basically. Yeah. It's funny. I, I feel more like that. So it's hard, like it's hard for me to relax when there's someone else, in the room at all. Mm. Um, and I've noticed this like when sort of like lazy Sunday afternoon, like hanging out with someone I'm dating, mm. like it is not, I am not as relaxed as if they weren't there. Mm. And I think most people can be, and I, yeah. I can't quite turn it off. Um, but no, for but public transit, show up in public transportation. no. So I feel like it's so anonymous. Yeah. I actually have like delight in, I'm like, nobody knows me. Does anybody ever come up to you and talk to you? So people will, San Francisco, you know, so people would, <laughs> not necessarily talk to you, but talk to the whole bus. They're, they're sort of talking <laughs> yeah, yeah, in general. Yeah. Um, sometimes people like yell things at me, but uh, it doesn't feel like they're trying to connect with me. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so I kind of, you know, I just, I just ignore everything. I. That's also anonymous in a sense. That's a, that's the thing. Yeah, it yeah. still feels anonymous, and like even if they're like, you know, they comment on stuff I'm wearing, it still, it still feels anonymous. Mm. It still feels separate sometimes i'm you know i don't always um speak the languages that they're talking to me in um. <laughs> yeah <laughs> um that's a really interesting point about anonymity because it's a, in a sense it's also the city anonymity it's expected that we don't talk to each other in the street in the subway or anything like that i actually have a friend who's starting a business who helps people to talk to strangers because uh, it's actually a really good skill to have to talk to strangers oh, sure um, as long as you are aware of very quickly about whether somebody wants to talk to you or not. Uh, but I think I think it's I think it's a really important skill. I've actually done it with him, and it's really it's an interesting it's an interesting. It sounds kind of wild. Yeah, and yeah. It's, it's therapy. And I told yeah. him this is that you are you are you are doing therapeutic work. You have to be very careful about like what you put somebody into because like mm-hmm. it is it mm-hmm. is that's like the one of the biggest boundaries. Fear of public rejection is like right there with fear of death. It's like you know it's like going back to that thing. It's like it's a big deep seated yeah. fears. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's so funny. So my neighbor, we shared the same house. She was in the apartment above me. Um, two weeks ago, she moved to somewhere in Marin County. Mm. And what she said is she said, you know, I was expecting more privacy. Mm. 
but instead mm-hmm. it's the opposite. Yeah, everybody's and there. Everyone's and everyone, yeah. you know, she, they say hi when she takes her dogs out on a walk. They wave when she's taking the trash out. She was like, she's used to in San Francisco. You know, we have walls like all of the walls in the houses are right next to each other mm-hmm. and one of the things about that is you can't see into anyone's house because there's a wall there mm-hmm. but now they have space in the yard and she said she can see into her neighbor's houses mm-hmm. which she hates and they can see into her house and she says she knows her neighbors better after living there for two weeks than seven years mm-hmm. in my house and it's almost uncomfortable though so it's yeah. a little oppressive because <laughs> um you know she said that at our house she would like go throw things like our trash cans are kind of located on the sidewalk in front of the house and she said she'd go throw things away in like her pajamas or her slippers or whatever mm. and now that she lives in the suburbs she's like I have to shower and get dressed to take my trash out <laughs> because all my neighbors are going to see me and they're going to comment on what I'm wearing and it's going to be known in the neighborhood yeah. and I just thought that was the most interesting idea that in the city it's like sure you could take I mean God, you could take your trash out naked probably no one would even know <laughs> yeah. you know it's like yeah. we're so we're so kind of like weirdly San Francisco, passive open. acceptive yeah. of uh-huh. whatever you want to do with your trash yeah which almost is a, so this kind of ties into the, the what I was thinking so we've got San Francisco we've got Marin County which used which I believe is a bunch of people who were in San Francisco during the hippie movement and then uh, got older and wanted to move out of the city I and, think that's correct yeah and so, and, and San, part of San Francisco is transcending norms, not only transcending norms, but transgressing norms as yes. well. Um, and so I think that is kind of, uh, it's in tech, it's in the new age spirituality, it's in everything. Uh, and I, I think that is kind of like, you can't have the that with without the passive aggressive, like everybody's okay. Um, I think those are two are like very related. It's two sides of the same coin. Yeah, okay, what mm-hmm. do you think? What are your, yeah. Yeah, I think that, I think it's it's inherent in both of them. And I think... Um, that everybody is okay. It's, it's, it's the same as our conversation about New York and San Francisco. Like, I think there's a lot of people who really are eager for that type of acceptance, Mm -hmm. but I think it also puts a ceiling on Mm -hmm. how intimate you can be Mm -hmm. and how well you can know people Mm -hmm. if you're not sort of examining and being like, well, why did you take the trash out naked? And like, what does that mean to you? Mm -hmm. And does it say something about Mm -hmm. like how you view the world in terms of like efficiency and time or or whatever, like getting at that? Um, If you just like, that's fine. You don't Mm -hmm. learn about how that person's brain works. And nobody's comfortable with those. uh, Not as many people are comfortable with those type of conversations where it will go deep either with a stranger or with an intimate partner. Well, it's harder to get to that intimate partner or intimate relationship level with just you and friends too, because the expected norm is that uh, everybody's got so many plans. They're all going to go to these events. Nobody's going to tell you like upfront whether they're actually going to show up to the event. So it's (laughs) like, it's like, it's like so many different options and kids in the candy. And that's just like the culture. And once you, and that's, there's something about environments as human beings, we adapt to the environment yep. unless we make some really, really difficult, uh, lifestyle, personal choices and stuff like that. We adapt to the environment we get in. So I go to other countries and it's like, I, 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 I live there and I, I feel adapted. It feels kind of like, I wouldn't say normal, but it feels like, and then I come here and it's like, it's I just get back in this fairyland where nobody will make a freaking plan <laughs> except for interviews. This is, and this is actually the funny part. Really? That, yeah. Like, Do like people show up. People People show up. I was late. Vastly more. No, no, like, 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 but I was expecting, like, we both had a calendar invite yep. and it was expected that we show up at this time. And like, so I'm actually getting a lot of social, uh, uh, this part of the reason I'm doing the interviews is because this is, it feels a, a something like this, this like, okay, we've agreed to a time and we're going to be at that time. Both of us are going to be at that time. And, you know, I get cancellations, uh, but it's like, it's not in the same way as, as in my personal life. Uh, so it's, it's really interesting to, to see that and, and like, 
and I, I'm enjoying it. So. Yeah, I almost um, this reminds me so. You know, there's a conversation around imposter syndrome, mm-hmm. um, like feeling like you don't belong or you're going to be found out and things like that. Yeah. And I don't feel like this at work. Mm. Like at work, I'm great. I'm like, oh, I belong here and I know that I have good ideas and I take risks. And as we talked about, that mm. compounds and does all kinds of good things. But I feel like I have that with my social life where sometimes I worry. I'm like, oh, people will only like hanging out with me mm. if I you know, drive across town to their house to hang out with them or like if I kind of like significantly compromise the convenience in my life. Um, And so one of the things I've been working on is playing on like setting the boundaries for those things better. Mm -hmm. And like I had a 3.30 coffee scheduled for today and I texted him and I said, hey, like is it possible to move to Mm 5? And if not, I'll keep it at 3.30, but it's possible. I would love to move to 5. And he said... He said, you know, today is crazy because we're going out of town for the holidays tomorrow anyway. Like, can we just bump it to next week? Mm. So I was like, that's great. But I've been trying to play with um, almost becoming less committal, Mm. like more San Franciscan, but Mm. in like the idea of like building my own sense of self-worth and like people would like to hang out with me even if I cancel plans with them sometimes Mm. and and things like that. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. 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 And I guess it's stage too, because there was a stage where I was I was like that as well, where I was just like I'm I don't want to commit to anything, and I I, I want to keep my my options open and everything like that. And San Francisco does offers that much easier because of the economics of the place as well. Um, oh, what do you mean by that? So uh, because it's so expensive long term to live here, uh, nobody buys houses unless they've been in an exit situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so a, an exit situation is is when somebody uh, gets a lot of money after a tech exit and they can they can afford property here. So uh, most people don't get to do that, so they can't do long-term planning. So they stay in Peter Pan syndrome. Uh, oh, so, so that's why they're trying to like grab, like, given that I'm only here for yeah. three years, I have to do the best things possible every night. Exactly. Yeah, oh. and that's the FOMO. That's where this this kind of thing. It's really weird growing up here and living here, and this is like my home. So I not love very it. many people have been <laughs> yeah, up here. Yeah, yeah. And so it's like an emotion, very emotional place for me, and it's a place where I feel most uh, uh, vulnerable. Uh, and then, in, and then in the personal life, it also is a vulnerable place because nobody will commit. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Well, and and nobody will commit, and it it is making all of us insecure because it's mm-hmm. almost like you have to build up your thing as the best thing you can be doing. Yeah. Well, I think that's there's some pressure thing. to do that. That's another thing as well, and that that's the point you made about joining a company because most people I don't work at a company, and most people get their social validation here from working at yes, a company as well, and so. I don't get that, so it's like. I guess I'm now getting it from the podcast. But. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to find, it's like, where are the ways I can get social validation that are fulfilling? And yeah. also I need to pay my rent. Yeah. And like, <laughs> yeah. what is the intersection of all of these yeah, things? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So we, we, I, I put on the thing that we we're going to talk about banking and all these other things, uh, but I, I'm actually most interested about Olin College. And like, is it Ooh, really, let's talk about yeah, Olin College. What, for those who don't know, what, what is Olin College? Olin is a new engineering college that was started to revolutionize engineering education. They thought that engineers who were coming out of schools were kind of solving the same problems in the same ways and that we really needed entrepreneurial engineers who could think outside the box um, and that there are a p- couple like big systematic problems with the, the engineering education has done today. 
Um, so yeah, it's a new school. It's located in Needham, Massachusetts, and the first class graduated in 2006. Mm. There's 75 students per year. Mm. So we just crossed the threshold. We now have 1,000 alumni mm. from Olin College who have ever graduated. But yes, it's a very, very small school. And uh, they do something special in the sense that you actually work on projects that you build out, right? That's part of the engineering? So it's all, yeah, and they call it do learn. Mm. Um, in contrast to most engineering schools, your first two years are theory and then your last two years are mm-hmm. application. At Olin, they say you do it first. And then after you, you do it, you learn uh-huh. how, why did that work. Yep. And so like your first semester of your freshman year, everyone has to build um, a robot that can walk up a vertical glass mm-hmm. wall. Mm-hmm. And everyone is like, I don't know how to do this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the teachers are like, talk to us. Like, let's figure it out. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. and you... Um, and you figure it out or you don't, and that you learn a lot from that as well. <laughs> Do you get held back if you don't? And then, no. All right, yeah. mm-hmm. um, no, it's not, because it's not about, Love I think, grades you, or, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and then the next year after that, you like learn a bunch of the theory involved, uh-huh. And, uh-huh. and then you feel kind of dumb because you're like, oh, if I designed it this other way, oh, it would be so much easier. That, and then you do it again, and then you learn more, and then you're like, oh, that one was even not good. Interesting. That gets into Nicholas Nassim Taleb's kind of thing about, like, theory and practice, and that if you're in a place that's kind of without clear output, you want to trust the person who's been doing it the longest and stuff like that. So you trust the plumber. Ah, even though their theory uh-huh. might not be correct, they're uh-huh. the ones whose body basically has built the theory and stuff like that. So Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And for engineering, that seems pretty clear that that's, that's something you'd probably want to do um, is basically learn how to do it, then learn the theory behind it. Exactly. Because people can get lost in theories and, like, and, and have absolutely no practical application of those theories. And then you're in that mind world that we were discussing about like uh, just playing in the future just, just because you're, it's fantasy. And there's nothing wrong with fantasy, but, but like if you're But you have to keep delusion, it in its place. Kind yeah, of, right. You yeah. can't live your life um, in fantasy. Yeah. yeah. And that's Olin is very much about like impact and having even if you have a small basic thing that works and is in the world like how much more valuable that, that is mm-hmm. than doesn't the grand it kind of i feel like there are some parallels with the lean startup mm-hmm. philosophy mm-hmm. um which i'm really into and so so i like that um and then companies you've built a company you started a company um uh what was the most challenging thing about that so um as co-founder of two different companies mm-hmm. Uh, different challenges at them. I think the most challenging thing, I mean, at my first company, so I was a co-founder of a company called Roxbox, and for a lot of that, I felt just like deeply lonely, mm-hmm. and I didn't, so I was very young um, at the beginning of that, I was like 23, and I didn't know any other founders, really. Um because all my friends were kind of, they were in their first jobs or there was like second year as a PM at Google or something like that. And so that's what a lot of my class at Olin like graduated and went on to do, um, which is a very prestigious position. It was really cool and they were working on cool challenges and things like that. But you can't talk with them about We're just in different worlds. Yeah, yeah, we really couldn't connect on the challenges that I had. Mm-hmm. And, we, and so I didn't really have that social support. And then further for the first uh, year and a half or so, at Roxbox, I was the so I was a co-founder and CTO. Um, it's a fancy title for being the only engineer, <laughs> and that is a really lonely position to be in. And trying to figure out um, 
you know, and sometimes I would like, I was thinking about couponing and I was like, well, we really want coupons because then we can run all these promos and incentivize people and do ad tracking, brings all this value. Uh, and I was like, oh, this is going to be really hard to build. And every time I would think, I don't want to build this. Like, I don't, there's all these other things. I don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. And then I would realize that if I didn't do it, Roxbox wouldn't have coupons. Like, there was no one else to do it. To do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it felt a little bit like, desperate and a real like very lonely um for the first part of that so that was very very hard at pinch my second company it was totally different so the challenges there were more like at Roxbox. so Roxbox, um my co-founder meg it's, it's her idea mm-hmm. and she brought a bunch of both like i mean it, she's just this like business genius and it was her idea and Roxbox is a great idea and it has incredible product market fit and customers love it and because Meg did all that work around creating this amazing vision, um, I sort of took that for granted. And then at Pinch, like we really iterated and pivoted around trying to find product market fit. And part of that, I was like, holy shit, Meg is a genius mm. with Roxbox. Is it really like people liked it from day one? And we changed, you know, we changed some stuff with the pricing and how the this worked and whatever, but the the product was the same. Mm. And our second company, we were like, we don't even know what the product is. And we had these visions, but people didn't like it. And that's kind of, um, you know, hurts your soul Mm -hmm. as well and in a different way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah, the first point about about loneliness, I definitely understand that. And working on something that is not like feeding your soul. And it's in a sense, like, I think all of us have to go through that in order to understand what it is that we actually want. Because without that understanding, unless you're lucky, there's lucky people out there who, who just get right into it. I agree. And I think, I mean, honestly, like, when I think about that time at Roxbox, I was the only person building things. Like, my whole career is kind of built on that. Like, that's why I have everything. I have. It's like both the, like, the skills and what I accomplished, like, honestly, was really hard. And a lot of people, have, you know, there's all these things. Um, and so it was extremely painful at the time. Uh, I think it's so funny. Like, I think if I was in that position, like, co-founding Roxbox with Meg today, like, I would do it so differently and just be so much kinder to myself. But then... You know, I don't know that I would have, I would have been able to. So you wouldn't have learned that lesson without that. Yeah. Right. Exactly. (laughs) So here we are. Yeah. (laughs) Cool. Uh, So yeah, we got a couple minutes left. Personal life, professional life. What is the biggest lesson you've learned recently? Mm, The biggest lesson I've learned recently, I've been um, working, you know, like working on myself and self worth and things like that, Mm. and. I really feel like the the biggest lesson has been around like my wants are valid, mm. which actually feels like extremely radical mm. to think through, and um, and it's funny to and so now kind kind of to own those things and to say like I want this and someone's like well you can't like you're unlikely to find that or you can't <laughs> have that and and I'm like that's fine yeah but. That doesn't change that I want it. Yeah. And like that's and you need valid. To and, it. Yeah. Uh, and what do you how do you know the difference between a want and a need? I don't. Mm-hmm. I think that's a that's on my to-do list. Mm-hmm. Is dist- <laughs> it's on there, <laughs> distinguish like, <laughs> between wants and needs. Yeah. Um I would say that I probably put like everything in the want oh. bucket now, <laughs> which is probably not serving me well. Uh-huh. 
it's, I mean, that's a difficult question for everybody because uh, essentially we, we all start off, I mean, as, as kids, you were kind of getting into this, uh, I wanted to bring up this point about when you were starting your company and as a young person starting your company, uh, we go through this development process, particularly from the ages of 12 to 19. I learned about this in the book Behave by Robert Sapolsky about the neurobiology of behavior where um, we are social beings. And so a large part of this frontal cortex makeup uh, is our social relationships. That's why you go to high school and it's all about dominance hierarchies and everything like that. And then, uh, and then you, you, you start a company and that is a social enterprise. You're interacting with other people and, uh, and then, but your frontal cortex is still developing until like 27 or something like that. You're, so you're still in this process of, 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 it's not quite as difficult as you are in high school. Uh, but it's really interesting. And then wants and needs that directly goes into wants and needs as well, because, you know, you can't even figure that out until you're like in your thirties, maybe, uh-huh. I, don't, I don't know, unless you're lucky again, some uh-huh. people are uh-huh. lucky and get it really early. Um, I have very stable families and stuff like that. This is one of the challenges I'm facing is that, that I didn't get a lot of things that I needed when I was younger. So I'm doing the development work now. You're doing it now, yeah. which yeah. is fine, but it just means you're not doing the other things until later as exactly. well. Yeah. yeah. I, um, I really feel like I'm doing some things now that are cool and feel new and feel great that it, it does seem like a lot of my friends were doing when they were like 22. Mm. And I don't know why it took me an extra 10 years, but <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. I was busy building a company and doing yeah, other exactly, things yeah. and not learning um, basic social skills. Yeah. What are the most important social skills that you've learned recently? Ooh, so the stuff recently um, is like not, for me, it's like not justifying things. Behavior, yeah. A really important one or like anything or mm-hmm. saying um like like no i don't want to i don't want to get lunch next week mm-hmm. you know like mm-hmm. uh and not having a further clarification to that about there's something. no reason yeah. no anything it's like i don't want to that yeah. doesn't sound fun to me yeah. it doesn't sound good to me yeah i don't want to do it <laughs> have you got any pushback from it i get so it, it's funny i get um I think, so I do get some pushback, but I get, the amount of pushback I'm expecting when I say mm-hmm. that is like 100x mm-hmm. the amount I actually get. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's okay. And getting some pushback I think is good for me because it helps me kind of like clarify and solidify the mm-hmm. stance I'm at. Like, um, It's important feedback. I don't like Suvla. What's Suvla? It's a restaurant chain in San Francisco. Uh, There's like five or six locations. Uh, uh, it's very popular with my friend group. Uh, uh. <laughs> it's the only restaurant in San Francisco I don't like. Yeah, and that's it's, the one they go to. Right, and that's yeah. the one they go to. And so, and I feel like, I'm like, I really feel like I could, should be able to vet, veto one restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's been like an interesting... And it's with a group. It's not necessarily with one other person. So there's a lot of conflicting stuff. Well, it's not, I'm not usually eating with a group. Mm. But just, it's like one no. person will be like, let's get dinner next week. What about souffle? <laughs> <laughs> and you were saying no. <laughs> and I have to say, I'm like, you know, I really don't like souffle. Uh-huh. Can we do any other restaurant? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's been interesting for, and I, I, cause I always, you know, I, I kind of talk down to myself and I'm like, I should. Make should, yourself amenable to others. Yes. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. be able to do this. And, and then I'm like, you know. I'm not that picky of it. Like, it's one restaurant mm-hmm. that I don't like. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing on the menu. Well, I like their ice cream, but there's, like, no entrees that I like. And so I've been really leaning into this. I'm like, can we please, like, do it? It really seems like we shouldn't have to go to Suva. Mm-hmm. 
And this is an interesting point about like individuation and Maslow's hierarchy of needs and stuff like that because we, we go through these stages and uh, Stephen Covey in his book Seven Habits of Highly Effective oh, yeah. People talks yeah. about the path from codependence to independence then to interdependence. And it's really like... Oh, you have to go through independence. Yeah, you, have to, you have to go through it until yes. you can get to that point where you yes. can give just for the sake of giving as opposed to giving for some sort of like seeking validation or, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. grasping after mm-hmm. after relationships and stuff like that. Yeah, and I think I might be in that middle phase right mm-hmm. now. Independence. And I think yeah. I'm a little bit of an asshole. <laughs> be, like I do. Yeah, but it's necessary. Well, it, it really seems... Um, yeah, it's like in being in that first stage is really intolerable and it really feels necessary for me to find out what I, and, and can I deal with Suvla or do I not want to? And are they still going to want to hang out? And, and then (laughs) it's like, well, if the restaurant we're going to is so important in my experience of getting dinner with someone, maybe I shouldn't be getting dinner with them at all. Mm -hmm. And kind of like sifting through all of these different things. Um, and I do hope to make it on the other side, but I do think I've been like, a little bit less friendly the last year. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's, it's a, it's a part of the process. And then like, and I guess the goal is interdependence, but you can't, you can't get there. You can't like shortcut it. You can't skip steps, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. So, uh, if people are more interested in what you're doing and, and want to find out more about you, how can they find you? Twitter. Twitter. Cool. At Maya B. Um, yeah. I have everything on Twitter. So that's both these types of like personal growth questions and my deep thoughts and insecurities mm-hmm. as well as startup advice and how to build companies and which of my friends are doing cool startups um, and things like that. It is all on Twitter. I really appreciate the being open on social media because like a lot of people don't do it and they project an image. And I think now a lot of people are starting to do the opposite, which is to be to be real. And then there's the being real, uh, but only, but as an image as well, which is an interesting thing. Well, and mine is, mine looks not edited. It uh, is edited. Okay, yeah. Um, and I actually do something interesting. Mm. So I post most of my tweets, so I post them, and it's all super stream of consciousness, but I post them to a social media management tool called Buffer. Mm, yeah, I do the same now. Which spaces them out through the day. But more importantly, it gives me a chance to so think look, about, yeah, yeah. do I really want to say this? <laughs> and sometimes I, I look at this, I'm like, Ah, this like sounds kind of racist and that's not the point I'm trying to get across here. And can I reword it Mm -hmm. so that I'm not tweeting things that look sort of racist, Mm -hmm. you know, or um, it lets me, yeah, kind Mm -hmm. of, and a lot of times I look at the stream of consciousness, I'm like, I can't understand what this is saying and I will reword it, make it more clear and I add emojis. I feel like that break it up. <laughs> I have not gotten to that point yet. Things like I that. Guess I'm not so. that, that level of inter- interdependence yet. <laughs> so so, emojis. I do yeah. have a slightly filtered, uh, but I but it is real. I mean, everybody does though, because I was talking to my dad about this, and you gave me a really good point, which is that, and it's related to cryptocurrency of all things. Uh, you've, okay. You've got a private uh, internal life. I've got a private internal life. I've got a public external life that I've manufactured you also mm-hmm. have the same thing every, mm-hmm. every person has that on the same thing and uh, a lot of times people don't really realize that and if you don't realize that you have a public persona and a private persona you're not really and uh, so the, the connection to crypto is that we have private keys <laughs> we have a private oh, keys sure. and a public and key. public keys yeah, yeah, sure yeah, yeah, yeah. no that that makes sense to yeah. me mm-hmm. um and it's interesting like i post all these pretty personal things to twitter and i get so many people reaching out over dms mm. And I think for them, it's something in between. They're not comfortable with having their public persona associated yeah, so with. So they switch it back to private. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Cool. 
Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure. This is fun. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Hope you enjoyed this episode. I do want to make it clear because I have not made it clear in other places and it has recently come to my attention uh, that it's really important to be clear about this. Uh, I When I ask somebody a question, a lot of people have assumptions about why I'm asking them a question. A lot of people assume that the person I'm asking is an expert on that question because why else would I be asking them that question? Um, and I just want to make sure that uh, you guys don't have that assumption because that assumption is not correct about, about my motives for asking people questions. Uh, I do believe there are experts. I am really interested in what experts have to say about their expertise. I do not believe that there are experts at life. There are no experts at life. If you think you are an expert at life, you probably have a huge blind spot. Uh, and so that's the framework under which I ask questions. So when I ask somebody else a question, I'm not only asking them the question, I'm asking myself the question, and I'm asking the audience the question. Uh, I do not believe that any of those answers have more value unless they are an expert in the subject that they're talking about. But I also find value in asking people questions about things they are not experts in uh, because those have value too. It's not the same value, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm operating a, from a, I'm trying to operate from a standpoint of not knowing of beginner's mind. Um, and so with that, it's really important to uh, just ask the question uh, without expecting an answer that will change your life. Because uh, most of us are dependent on other people for answers. I think that's a really dangerous place to be. You don't, also don't want to be only dependent on yourself for answers too. Uh, it's just life is never that clear. Um, so I just wanted to make that clear and hope you have a great day.